We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you. Hello and welcome to the Making Queer History Podcast. I'm Will. And I'm Laura. And we're switching things up this time. Yes, we are. And I think Will did great. I try my best. If you haven't listened to us before, welcome. We are the podcast part of the Making Queer History Project. We run weekly articles and monthly podcasts, and we're excited to have you here. Exactly. We have a website where there are links to all of our social medias, all of our articles, all of our podcast episodes. It's basically our home base. If you want to know anything about our project, you should definitely, definitely check out www.makingqueerhistory.com. We also have our shop connected to that. Our social medias are an Instagram, a Twitter, and a Facebook. And a Tumblr. And a Tumblr. We also have a Tumblr. Um, we also have a patron where you can support us by becoming a patron. Yeah, and pay us for the work that we do. That's always awesome. And we just got a couple new patrons, so we're really excited to have them on board. Thank you so much to everyone who supports us. We really appreciate it. We really need it. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we can reach a new goal soon. Exactly. Thinking of cool things that patrons get, they will be listening to this podcast episode an entire month earlier than the rest of you. Um, they're listening it, to it right now in November, beginning of December, and you all will be getting it in January. So, so. you're missing out on the early part. Exactly. So all the news we'll talk about is going to be a little bit later for you guys. It happens. But anyway, if you have the money to, do consider becoming a patron. You will get cool side perks. You'll get to decide which designs go up on our shops monthly. Because we make so many new designs to put up on social media. We give you a couple options and then we throw one up on our shop so you can buy it. It's really exciting and we have a lot of cool designs to choose from. And if you're a higher scale patron, you also get cool rewards. Mm -hmm. Like, really cool rewards. Like, I want to become a patron, but that wouldn't be productive at all. We would actually lose money if you became a patron. Yeah, but... Because taxes. Yes, but I still want the rewards. You don't get them. Will does not get the rewards. See, y'all think probably, because Will is like my wife, that I'm like giving them the rewards. I am not. I'm, I'm, it's a lockdown. Will doesn't get to vote in the polls. Will doesn't I get anything. get nothing. I also don't get to know when cool things happen. Nope. Patrons first. Will second. Like third. Ouch. Cats first. Obviously. Yeah. I apologize. Here's also, a shout out to our cats. They're all dumb. They are. In fact, that is true. And also, if you're a patron, you probably get to see them every once in a while on our lens Thing, which it's, is sort of like Instagram stories, but on Patreon. It's really super fun. And I often use it to show you little quotes from the research I'm doing that are pretty hilarious because academic papers are petty and I love it and I love sharing it with y'all. Academics are petty. As someone in university, yeah. Petty. Any other fun facts we have to share about the project at the moment, Laura? Well, yeah, actually. Um, for the patrons who are listening to this, you know, in actual time, 
we just did a really cool presentation because do you know what you can do? You can get us to come to an event or a meeting or something like that. It's really great. Um, this time we did it on Canadian queer history with a specific tilt towards Albertan queer history. And it was really fun. We got to meet a couple cool people. And I really love giving presentations because it's really just an excuse for me to like sit in front of people and just rant about the things that I care about. Shout out to all our ACGC pals. Exactly. We did it at ACGC. And you will find all that info on our website, by the way, if you want to hire us for anything. If or you're book a, us for an event, yeah. Yeah, if you're also on one of our patrons, you even get to look at the slides. Yes, you do. Um, I don't think I've put up the slides of the two extra slides I did for this particular one yet, but I'm going to definitely get to it eventually. See, you we should looked... support us because exactly. you get fun things like PowerPoint presentations. Exactly. PowerPoint presentations are the most fun things, factually. Uh, yeah, that's accurate. I think the new slides were, well, actually only one new slide and the other one was just like an addition to an older slide. But it's about the Pisces Bathhouse Raid in Edmonton, Canada. That's actually where we live. So I got to sort of go in depth into some local history. It was, it was stupid. Like, the, the history was rough. Yeah, it, it, was, it was not a pleasant story. But at the same time, it was a necessary story to tell. And really interesting story at the very least. It actually happened not too far away from where we live. So, which, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. And also yeah. not cool. It's a mixture of cool and not cool. It's always interesting to be near a historical site. But at the same time, it's not cool because... It wasn't a fun historical moment. It really wasn't. How many historical, like, fun moments are there? Great question. I'm like, are there any monuments up to, like, fun historical moments? Like, you know, John F. Kennedy met, like, someone here and they, like, high-fived or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't think there are yeah, cool, cool historical Cool monuments. fun historical moments. I doubt it. Like, there are probably some somewhere. If there are some, send it in to us. We'd love to hear about them. Uh, and we'd love to know more about them. Do you know what one thing I'm not an expert in? Historical monuments. I know a lot of things about history. Historical monuments are just off my radar completely. Yeah, so send some in to us on our email. Yes, queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com. Yeah, and there you can send comments, concerns, questions... Anything that you really want to send in. And for those of you who don't know yet or have just tuned in, you can also email us things so that we read it out on the end of the podcast episode in a segment called Wrecking the Queers. Yeah. Where we read out hate mail slash regular mail. We just like assume we're going to get more hate mail, but we actually haven't in reality. But like either way, Wrecking the Queers where we read our hate mail slash other mail and also recommend cool queer projects. So it's a double pun. Exactly. It's perfect. And yeah, we're re always really excited to recommend like awesome queer projects. We also have the other part of the project that Dean's working on right now where it's like smaller projects that are like doing cool things and like, yeah. But um, this particular one is just like anything that like we watch or read or look at. Just really things that we experience, not just like queer projects but like queer media and like we talk about bigger things because in the other one we have to talk to the creators in this one we just recommend stuff and we like it because we like being gay yes it's like my third favorite thing 
I think that's all we have for our introduction today. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything else exciting news-wise other than just become a patron. I don't know. Yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, And thank you for all the bump in podcast subscribers from the beautiful Bustle article written about us where they called us Australians. Which is odd. I think they just got us mixed up with the podcast above us. Yeah, but like, shout out to Bustle for thinking we're Australian. Yeah. It's actually sort of funny because Will has been mistaken for Australian more times than is reasonable. Three times, which is three times more than necessary. I completely agree. It was the first time my brother actually met Will. We're in a gay club and and my brother came up to us because he was with some friends, right? And he came up to us and he's like, hey, Will, you're Laura's like... Australian partner. And, and I'm like, like, no. Opposite no. side of the globe, please. <laughs> and it was just like sort of a weird encounter. And then like we separated. And like later we were talking to my grandparents. And my grandparents were like, oh yeah, Will's Australian, right? And I'm like, no. No. You are wrong. Ding dong, you're wrong. But yeah, that's... that's. And this is the third time. So do you know what? Added to the list. Yeah. Will might be Australian. I, Will might have been lying to us all this time. Are you really Norwegian? I I gotta go. Say down under. <laughs> what 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 else is there Australian? Kangaroo. Kangaroo. That was really cute. Thank you. That's how I said in Norwegian. Say that again. Kangaroo. That's very cute. Yeah. Welcome to Making Queer History Podcast, where we speak Norwegian and people think we're Australian. Yep. It it's the two things we're known for. It's a mess. Anyways, today we're not talking about Australia, we're talking about Cuba. Cuba! And we're talking about a thing that's very controversial. Yeah. Castro. Highly controversial. More importantly, we're talking about not Castro, but Reynaldo Arenas. Yes, it's more important that we're talking about him, but I just want to start it off for everyone, you know, all the like lovely progressives who are on here, because mostly progressives listen to us. I don't think there's any Republican listening to us or anything like that. I doubt that. But... For everyone, you know, who's, like, tuning in, Castro sucks. If you can't handle me saying that, you're not going to like this podcast episode. We're also going to be diving into a couple of different things. So we're going to do a quick content warning. So, you know, you can know what's coming up. So you can, like, either prepare yourself or just tune into the next month's episode. So we're going to be mentioning suicide, sexual assault, and torture and imprisonment. So those are some pretty intense things. We're not going to be going in depth on any of those situations, but we are going to mention them. So just either prepare yourself for that or listen to next month's episode where I don't think we're going to be talking about that. I don't remember what next month's supposed to be. So I just hope it's not that. Yeah. And anyways, we'll always give content warnings before delving into anything super intense. Yeah. We'll try to at least. We'll do our very best. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Ronaldo Arenas, what do you know about him, Laura? I know at least six things. At least six things. I can tell you that he was born July 16th in 1943 in a city called Aguas Claras. And I can tell you that pretty early on he got really in-depth in the revolution in Cuba because there was a leader there who was not that great. Not super. I'm just gonna, like, Give a really understated, not super guy. And uh, Ronaldo Arenas was just like, mm, not super, I don't like it. And was rebelling against him. And the revolution in Cuba at the time was pretty intense. As most of you who know a little bit about Cuban history know. 
Exactly. So he joined the revolution against Batista, uh, supporting Castro until... Things went down. Realizing that that wasn't the best idea. He early on studied philosophy and literature and then moved on to, like, working in a library and, like, he wrote a lot of books. He was very active. And then he was also a revolutionary. Yes, until he realized, as many of the revolutionaries realized, that Castro was also uh, not a great guy. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of homophobia and there was a lot of... A lot of gross things that Arenas and all the other queer folks had to deal with. So Arenas, who worked as a as a journalist and editor for a magazine for six years, was obviously very outspoken about these issues. Yes, he was very outspoken, and he also wasn't very popular within the revolutionary regime as it got power, as he wrote books and wrote pieces... Most of them were banned. There was one that was actually released in Cuba and it was only sold 2,000 copies before it was cut off and they're like, stop it. Yeah. Because it wasn't realistic enough for them or something like that. They really didn't like his writings Mm -hmm. because they were pretty against Castro and the revolution. To be fair, Castro sucks. Yeah. I'm going to say it a couple times for all you, everyone, because Castro sucks. And, like, it's shocking to me, like, every time how many people either don't know that, like, because they haven't, like, fully learned all about his life, or they don't believe that. And I'm, like, I'm cool with people not knowing that, to be fair. And we're gonna dive into some of that. So if you're a person who's like, oh, I've only ever heard good things about Castro. This is odd. I don't know what to do with this. That's fine. But if you're a person who's like, hmm... I'm pretty sure Castro's the best person who's ever existed. And no matter what you say, (laughs) I'm not going to listen to whatever these people have to say. You're not going to like what's going to come next. In 1974, however, they sent him to prison. So that, and that like started out well. Yeah, it, it clearly their relationship wasn't going well. And this is where we learn about how much Castro sucks. Yeah. See, what happened was, uh, Ronaldo had some stuff stolen from him. So he went to the police force and the police force were like, hmm, you're gay. And then it became an issue. It really did. They, uh technically said they arrested him for ideological deviation yes but it also was because he was gay it was because he was gay which he had at one point tried to hide though he was open for a little bit in his life he was like oh i'm gonna get married to a woman and people will leave me alone but they a didn't and b also didn't let him have housing so those are two things that uh sucks yeah that because was Castro sucks. Thing. uh he did escape from prison at one yeah. point and tried to leave Cuba by throwing himself into the ocean on a, the inner tube of a tire. Do you know what happens? Yeah, but then they caught him again, which is like, it sucks. It sucks. We're, we're going to use that word a lot because there are a lot of things that sucked. There's a lot of things that sucked. And then he was imprisoned at this spot called El Moro Castle. Okay, so what happened was they were like, ooh, Let's ruin this guy's reputation because he was like a sort of well-known writer because he like sometimes like shipped his books off to different countries and they're like, oh, this writing's awesome. And like he was sort of well-known within the community. They were like, okay, let's say he, um, we're going to talk about rape really quick. Um, He raped an old woman, killed her to just absolutely ruin his reputation, which obviously he did not do. There's no proof he did that. There's absolutely 
this didn't, this event that he is accused of didn't even happen. So he he didn't do it. It was just it was just, just a way to completely ruin his reputation as much as possible. Straight up lies. Yeah, it was just a straight up lie. Shocking that Castro's government would lie. I, I'm sure all of you are shook. <laughs> but they lied about this, and then they sent him pr- to prison. But the fact that they lied about it did affect his life in a positive way. And that's a really, like, yeah. weak positive. But they, it's because instead of being sent to a prison for queer people, and the p- prisons for queer people in, at that time were literally modeled after concentration camps from the Nazi regime in Germany, instead of being sent there, he was sent to um a prison for rapists and murderers, where he was treated much better than he would have been treated if they knew he was gay. So, Which is a whole thing. Real real thing that's a huge thing yeah 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 and while he was there he wrote love letters for a lot of the other prisoners not to them but like to the people they had at home and he wrote the love letters for them because many were illiterate and others just you know he was a poet they wanted him to write stuff for them and on the back of those he'd write his own work which is pretty cool yeah that he would just like no matter what find a way to write Mm -hmm. his own things yeah i think that's pretty amazing and he just kept doing that for yeah. for all the time he was in prison. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know any more details of what happened while he was there, but I believe most... Not super. Uh, there was definitely torture. There was a lot of horrible treatment that was going on in prisons all around Cuba at the time. And specifically with Ronaldo, they were focused on getting him to renounce homosexuality and admit to things that he didn't do. One of those things was... Um, assaulting a minor, which he never did, but they tortured him until he wrote a confession saying that he did, and also, again, renouncing homosexuality. I believe they also made him renounce his own writings. Yes. And say that he supported Castro's regime. And so he was forced to sign this, and I'm not sure it was released or not, but at no matter what, it was through torch- torture and not anything he'd ever written himself. Yes. Which, again, sucks. Yeah. It's like the lightest way we can say it without swearing. And then in 1976, I believe, he was released mm-hmm. after serving his time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what he did after that, but I'm pretty sure he didn't live a happy life uh, until he managed to get himself, on purpose, sent to the States. Yes. He went to the police and he gave them a false name and he said, hey, I'm, I'm gay. And this is my name, which was a lie. Yeah. And then they sent him out of Cuba. The second part was a lie. He was gay. Yeah, he was And they sent him out of Cuba, and then he went to Florida to teach uh, Cuban poetry history, I think. And he he taught that at university for a little while before moving to New York. And then he lived uh, in Hell's Kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Sorry, I, I just like, I'm not sure if it was any... If I'm just, like, missing in context. Mm-hmm. But in your article, you specify that he lived in Hell's Kitchen without a telephone. He did not have a telephone. We know this about him. It was because he was poor. Yes. But also, like, he didn't have a phone. He didn't have a phone. Um, he also wrote for a magazine with other Cuban refugees. And he continued writing um, pretty regularly as a form of rebellion, honestly. Especially against Castro's leadership, because as we've noted, Castro sucks. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. 
Like, I really want to swear about him, guys, but I'm not going to because I'm trying really hard to be professional. If this was a normal conversation that was not recorded, there would be swearing. Though Will has sworn multiple times on this podcast. I I am trying to be a professional. I have. To be fair, I do not have a concept of English swears. That's fair. So, aside from my swearing, Mm -hmm. in 1987, Arenas was... Uh, diagnosed with uh, AIDS, mm-hmm. and he went on to living three more more years mm-hmm. before committing suicide. Mm-hmm. And it's actually pretty interesting. I believe he decided to live three more years to finish his work. Mm-hmm. And by the time that he was reaching the end, he could barely speak as he tried to dictate his uh, work into a, like a recorder. And he just... All throughout his life, his writing his writing was, like, the most important thing. Mm-hmm. That's what he lived for. That's what he kept living for. Yeah. And as he, uh, as he died, or before he died, he wrote two suicide notes. One to the police, describing the circumstances around his death. And the other one to those still in Cuba. Yeah. To those still living under Castro's regime. Mm-hmm. And just, like, talking uh, about his death and talking about, like, how sick he got, um, one quote from him becomes really important for, at least me, and it's the, the quote we open with in the article. Writing those books kept me alive, especially the autobiography. I didn't want to die until I had put the final touches. It is my revenge. Solid revenge. It's a solid revenge. And he wrote a lot about, you know, the oppression that existed in Castro's Cuba and just all of the horrible things that were going on and the horrible things that Cuban refugees had to experience and the horrible things that people still living in Cuba still had to experience. And for him, writing was a very revolutionary act. It was always an act of rebellion because he never separated his writing from who he was as a person. And I know especially like in modern times, there's a whole bunch of discussion around like separating the artist from the work and all that kind of stuff. And there's definite worth in that discussion. But specifically when we're talking about Ronaldo, his work was so deeply personal. And for so many writers, actually, like as a writer myself, our work is so deeply personal. And For an audience, I understand the desire to want to separate the author from the work, especially considering the author's flaws. But I think the connection that an author has with their work and the intention can be so valuable to look at. And when looking at Ronaldo Arenas, it's just an incredible thing to see how he continued going, specifically fueled by his desire not only to make amazing beautiful works but also to get revenge and to compete with this awful regime that existed by creating amazing art by creating revolutionary art by creating art that scared the government because that's what it did they didn't ban it because they thought it was bad they banned it because it scared them and you get the feeling that writing for Ronaldo was as important to him or more important than like breathing was and happiness it was all about writing he wrote all throughout his his teenage and and young adult years he wrote all throughout school he wrote throughout his time in prison he he spent all the time he could on writing and all the time he could he worked for getting those published or shipped out of cuba or sent anywhere else and it's just very clear how revolutionary it was yeah and 
I think it's clear and um, probably like a little relatable for any creative. I, I've never met a creative who doesn't like in some way feel this in feeling like how therapeutic creating art can be. And not only how therapeutic, but how impactful it seems. Even if you don't share it with anyone, art has such a power in it to either change yourself or to change the people who read it. It's just really incredible to see an artist who has such a deep connection with their work and who's like talks about that deep connection with their work so much. And his work was really in all said and done his solace. It was everything to him. And it's hard to know that his work never really got back to Cuba because he loved Cuba. Only a person who loved Cuba could continue fighting for Cuba his entire life. He hated a lot of things about Cuba, Castro, but also all of Castro's regime and a lot of the tyranny that existed in that time and continues to exist today, let's be honest. Yeah. But you don't create all that art, you don't put all that work in if you don't deeply love your country. Like, he deeply loved his country, and he always wished he could outlive Castro, but unfortunately he did not. Fortunately, though, Castro's dead. Yeah, and he, for those of you who don't know, he died in 2016. Mm -hmm. His brother um, took over after his death, so yep. that's the whole thing. But, you know. At least he's dead. Like, yeah. the... It, we, we can talk about, you know, like, a new person taking over. But do you know what? Let's all just, like, be glad. Because he's dead. And, like, it's really frustrating as a queer person to see in, like, especially progressive circles, people being like, oh, Castro, like, what a revolutionary, incredible, like, man. Because I just want to, like, scream. Because, no. Like, no matter what all of this other stuff is, it doesn't matter what the other politics are, if all of the progress he made had to come off the backs of queer people, it's worth nothing to me. And it's not worth nothing. Because I don't think people being tortured is worth that. Yeah, no. Like, no way. Any progress he could have made doesn't matter more than the people he hurt. It just doesn't. And I don't care if that's controversial or not. And it's so frustrating. Again, especially in progressive circles, because you know what? I've had a lot of people, after Castro died, I had a lot of people, like, posting stuff, or, like, I had one person specifically mention to me about, like, how impactful Castro is. And I just was like, what's wrong with you? And I literally replied to this article. I was like, don't talk to me again. Just read this. Just don't talk to me. We're not, we're not having this conversation. Because it's horrible how willing people are to forgive people's torture of queer people if like they're a little lefty like I don't care I don't care about any of that if they tortured queer people they're not a good person like I don't that's... think that should be controversial yeah no I don't see why that would be controversial but I know it is and it's yeah. just annoying because you just, just want to shake these people and just be like what is going through your mind and it just like is really telling about how little people actually, when the cards are down, value queer lives. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they'll say, they're like, oh yeah, but like, like I care about queer rights. Like, I, I was like totally for gay marriage to be legalized. But like, when we're like, hey, your fave literally imprisoned, tortured, and killed so many queer people, they're like, uh, but like... He was a communist, though. He was a communist, though. Communism is 
that's a conversation that I'm not having today because like talking about controversy but like the fact that people are like willing to look at me as a queer person and literally be like oh yeah Castro is amazing or like say something positive about Castro is just so deeply offensive to me I'm like never talk to me again and honestly like generally I'll be like I'm gonna give you a chance to educate yourself but if you argue with me on this you're cut out of my life and there aren't actually many things that I'll do that with like I, I'm I sound a lot like my bark's a lot bigger than my bite on a lot of things um and I sound like I'm very strict with my friends like I'm you know you need to agree with me or bye but like this thing feels so personal because it's literally people valuing some like politics over the fact that someone tortured and imprisoned queer people on purpose because of him like not at all like because of any other reason he chose to do that as a person he was like i hate queer people this is what i'm gonna do about it so if you take anything away from today's podcast castro sucks castro sucks i was gonna swear but i didn't Castro fucking sucks. That's, that's, that's it. That's it for this podcast. That's all you need to know. Castro really sucks. And Ronaldo Arenas and so many other queer people from Cuba and so many other Cubans for so many different reasons. That wasn't the only problem with his regime, I, I promise you. But they deserved better. And they definitely deserve better than to see this nonsense of people praising him now. Absolutely ridiculous. So on that note. Let's move into the third segment. The third segment, Wrecking the Queers. This is Wrecking the Queers. We'll just do the jingle. They didn't have to. They didn't have to at all. We we like had forced y'all to listen to us sing for like months and months and months because you weren't giving us any ideas on what to name it but now we have a name and Will gave it a jingle anyways because Will's just like extra. Will's working harder. I am here and I am gay. Yeah and creating jingles apparently. All right so wrecking the queers. So we haven't got any million because we literally just started the segment so that's fair that's fair no judgment. So the queer recommendation of this month is Kindness for Weakness. That's a good book. It's a really good book. Um, It's a really sad book, just so you know. And you're going to immediately be like, oh, shoot, I'm queer. The queer person dies, doesn't it? Spoiler alert. No, you're fine. Um, The queer person is a side character. So, like, just so you're aware, side character, not going to be the main focus. But it's a really interesting book, and I really, really enjoyed reading it, even though it was really, really sad. It was mostly just, like, about toxic masculinity, specifically in reference to the prison system of America, um, and the juvenile delinquent system specifically. I believe it's written by a Canadian author. Really? Yeah. Oh, maybe it's about, like, Canadian prison system. It's about a prison system, and the prison system in both Canada and America suck. It's actually he, the, the author, I believe, was working at one of the detention centers. And yes, the- and everything that is in the book is based off a real event he experienced. And that's, after reading the book, that's pretty intense. It's not a light read, I would definitely say. It's very thin, so like you can probably finish it off pretty quickly, but I wouldn't suggest it. I would definitely suggest taking your time with it. Maybe even like a buddy reading it, like having a friend read it with you. 
just so you can talk back and forth about it. It's just like so interesting. If you have any like book clubs, I would definitely, definitely suggest it because it's really just like all discussing toxic masculinity and how it affects uh, men and specifically people who are more marginalized, including like queer men and like men of color. And it's just a really, really great book. And it was really worth the time that I put into it. And it was sort of an unexpected amazing book because like when I looked it up, I would just like sort of read the summary and it was like, in a world where men aren't allowed to express emotions. And I was like, oh, so this is like, it, just from that beginning, I'm like, it's a dystopia, but it sort of sounds like our world. And then I pick it up and it's a contemporary and it is our world. And I'm like, you got me. I love it. And it was really, really good. Um, the premise of it, just like, so you know, um, is that basically there's this boy who his brother is a drug dealer. And at one point to sort of impress his mo brother and to get money and his brother's like really hyper masculine. Um, he like helps his brother out on a drug thing and the police catch him and he's sent to prison and it really just spirals from there and it follows him in the prison system and him like because he's this really um sweet gentle boy who just a really sweet gentle boy like I don't know what to say other than he's a sweet gentle boy um he's very tender and he's in the prison system and like all this hyper masculinity that he like aspired to and his brother he sees it in this most negative form in its most violent form and he's just like horrified and he also like has to reckon with it and has to reckon with living with it and you sort of see how like in these systems and in a lot of different um spaces where masculinity is really intensified it can be very very dangerous not to be that and it really just explores masculinity in all its forms in its healthiest forms and it, in its most dangerous forms and in its most violent forms and it's really really worth the read especially for people who have like I don't know how to say this in a nice way but like a, a more mature knowledge of masculinity of like beyond the like the first feminist step of being like masculinity can sometimes suck because it does you are correct but also the knowledge of like how masculinity affects men specifically and who wants to learn more about that because i understand like a lot of femmes it can be like frustrating to constantly have masculinity like recentered in the narrative but this isn't a feminist book this is specifically about masculinity and it's not like it's a book written for men and i think it's just such a worthwhile book to read and it's such a good good read so i'd actually recommend it to a lot of feminists and i like i get that it's not a feminist book technically but it just like really explores toxic masculinity in a way that i haven't seen before it was just so deeply worth every second i spent on it and every emotion i spent on it and again i will say that it's a pretty intense book so if you're a person who's not ready for that or just not in the space for that feel free not to read it um, and yeah, it, I just really wanted to suggest that book because it's just one of those books that sort of makes you grow a little bit, like as a person. And like, if you think about it for a little while and turn it over in your head, it can be really impactful, I think. I really second in that. No, it's a great book. Mm -hmm. I forced Will to read it. Yeah. And it was worth every second, mm -hmm. but just be gentle with yourself when you read it. 
Definitely. There is a lot of homophobia in it, and there's a lot of violence. There is and, a mention of suicide as yes, well. Yes, there's also so a mention of suicide. Watch out for it. Yeah, watch out for it. And again, if you're not in the space to read it, don't read it. It's an intense book. And if you are in the space to read it, I'd even suggest, even if you're in the space, you're like, ah, I'll be fine. I'd suggest reading it with a friend, just to like have that, just in case things are get a little bit more intense than you expect. That's a really good idea. Yes. Um... Also, I just want to sort of like double back because our last month's recommendation was Haunting of Hill House, which we watched and loved and we ended up finishing and we recommend it because of the character Theo. And The Haunting of Hill House, for those of you who've watched it and for those of you who haven't, is an adaptation of a book. And the book has also been adapted into a movie, which is called The Haunting. And it was... Uh, it's a black and white film. I don't remember what year it was released. And there's also another adaptation of, of that movie. There's a lot of adaptations of this book. But either way, um, the first adaptation, movie adaptation, is the one we're talking about. And I wanted to watch it because um, I knew it existed before I started watching The Haunting of Hill House. Actually, I didn't know The Haunting of Hill House was based on this. And it's very, very loosely based for anyone who's like watched one or the other. Just know if you're going to watch the other, it's it's not the same at all. They're not even the same vibes, I wouldn't say. They explore a lot of the same themes, but they do in very, very, very different ways. Very much so. And mostly they're just, like, taking the names. Yeah. They, that's it. That's pretty much it. And again, a couple themes. Um, but it was really interesting to watch because I had it on my radar in the back of my head because it had queer coding in it. And I, like... Um, I like viewing films that have queer coding in it just to sort of like have a deeper knowledge of how it existed in its origin and how it exists now. Specifically in the character Theo, who, you know, as I said earlier, was the queer character in this new uh, version of the story. And Theo was a queer character and I, I, I really enjoyed seeing the origin of it because like there are a lot of themes and, and stereotypes put on Theo that are like now very harmful and like we can see that they're like not great themes or stereotypes especially like being predatory and stuff like that but at the same time there was almost no representation at all for queer people and this wasn't a visible representation either and like it's not treated well but at the same time it is interesting to see and sort of to see one of the really early sort of as visible as you could get queer women in film like, that was pretty popular. So it's really an interesting film to watch. And I enjoyed watching it. I definitely wouldn't suggest it if you're looking for some good queer representation. But at the same time, I definitely suggest uh, Haunting of Hill House if you're looking for some good queer representation. Because, I don't know, I felt like they really honored Theo in that movie. I felt like, or sorry, in the series. Um, they took a character that was very flat and, like, sort of, like, odd in my opinion, like, oddly written. And then they, and, like, very stereotyped and very, like, sort of a little mistreated, honestly. And then they just, like, gave her so much love and so much care without ever making it seem like, I don't know, she was not the same character because there were such, like, heavy similarities, but they treated them with this completely different lens. And I think it was so interesting to see how they did that and really, I don't know, like, healing to sort of, like, see the origin of this character who was, like, predatory and aggressive and, like, very sexually aggressive and, like, took advantage of these situations and, like, was very mean and just, like, sort of see her retold and her story be retold 
in a completely different lens and it just like felt really nice and healing and I'm not sure if anyone else felt that but like if you did you should definitely email in and we'll talk about it but yeah so that is my other part of my queer recommendations to make it longer than it needs to be part one and part two exactly I think that's all we have for today. Yeah, I think that's all we have for today. Um, Thank you for listening in for all you new people. If you want to check out more of this project, again, the website is www.makingqueerhistory.com. Our Patreon is www.patreon.com slash queerhistory. And on both of those places, you can find out how to support us, uh, where you can find us on social medias, and just all the different things that are going on with our project. Those are like the two hubs of all information. And to all of our listeners, we love you and appreciate you. And to all our creatives out there, definitely keep making art. It's obviously not Castro, but things are getting pretty intense in the world right now. Yeah, so keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. And don't just make art for the, you know, there's obviously the thing we talked about earlier with the Ronaldo Arenas, but also make art for yourself. Let it be a healing experience for yourself and let yourself get a little revenge with your art this month. And remember, history, history is queerer than you think. We have always existed and we are still here Telling the stories of those slumdead we Disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you think. Yes, we will continue. Yes, we will improve. Making history is just what we do. Every step we're taking is history in the making. We hold our own future, we learn from the past. They've tried to remove our legacy, but we are built to last. So listen to the story. Cause they'll help us grow From Sappho to Frida Kahlo There's always more to know History is queerer than you think Yes, we will continue Yes, we will improve Making history is just what we do Yes, we will keep growing Ever taking is history in the making. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, we have been and will always be absolutely revolutionary. Every single day we live, we are part of the legacy. We Taking it
sister. Re-